my name is Hitzer, <laughs> and welcome to the Genre Equality Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. Introduce yourselves, guys. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> there, were two, there are two types of uh, the hello there's, right? There's the the sure. there's the original hello there from um Alec McGuinness. Yeah. 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 There's the hello there from uh, when he greets General Grievous, and then there's hello <laughs> there from the recent one, lah. Of course, of course. Yeah. I did the most famous one is clearly the General Grievous one. Yeah. But there is one person who hasn't said hello yet. Uh, our third co-host. Yes, hi, I'm Isa. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for Hadi to get it out there so I could put my name in. But yes, hello there. Uh, um, hello there, uh, one and all. We're here to talk about many big things on streaming and in film. Uh, particularly, of course, the big topic is Obi Wan Kenobi. Mm. Um, alongside a new Star Trek show called Strange New Worlds. Plus, we'll be delving into the fourth and final season of Stranger Things mm-hmm. alongside, you know, some uh, notable releases such as Netflix's Umbrella Academy, which recently dropped its uh, latest season. Lightyear, the Toy Story spin-off, is out there as well. Jurassic World Dominion is out in cinemas. Isa will be uh, delving into Anime Corner. Oh, yeah. Um, and lots, lots more. In fact, my quick hit classics, who I'll be talking about two anime classics mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but this particular genre is very interesting because our two main topics this month focus on star wars and star trek prequel shows <laughs> um that each play fast and loose with franchise continuity but where one show kept stumbling to explain itself and justify its own existence the other kind of had fun messing with history mm. in surprising and unexpected ways that honors canon without being beholden to it mm-hmm. which description applies to which show um, we got to wait till our reviews to find out. Uh, before we begin, though, uh, we got to pay a quick tribute to the legendary comic artist Tim Sale, mm. uh, beloved for his work on Batman, who recently passed away at the age of 66. Mm. Um, were you guys familiar with the work of Tim Sale? Do you have any thoughts about his passing and all his legacy? Um, again, another Eisner Award winner, right? Uh, yeah. Back in the day. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not not really as familiar as other stuff, but um, I mean, I think that he did some work on Buffy also. Mm, um, the Dark Horse comic. Yeah, right. so I yeah. think I read that when I was in like secondary school or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he is most famously known for Batman: The Long Halloween. Mm, yeah. Um, of which V Batman took a lot of inspiration from, as well as one of the best um Superman comics out there, Superman for All Seasons. Uh, was also Tim Sale's work. You know, mm. he has this very bright, energetic, clean style. Um, he's done, you know, as I mentioned, Batman, Hulk, Spider-Man, Superman, basically all the greats. And mm. he helped define the modern myths and understanding about each character through his artwork mm-hmm. um, and sometimes redefine them. Um, he passed away at the age of 66 after severe health issues. His family have not given, um, you know, the the actual health issue but you know it's a private thing um i understand why the family wouldn't want to get into that but uh what about you isa you know you've probably been uh reading tim sale comics for years now as well right i mean obviously like we mentioned uh long halloween i think there was like haunted night batman noir uh but like some of the other stuff that he worked on i think that was interesting was like the Catwoman one which was called uh uh when in rome Mm. and um I believe he also did a Daredevil one that I remember picking up a long time ago as this kind of like strange thing in the library called Daredevil Yellow. Uh, Yellow, yeah. yeah. Um, Spider-Man Blue as well. Spi- yeah. Yes, Spider-Man Blue. So like, uh, 
Oh, I, yeah. I don't know if I've read Hulk Grey. Okay, yeah. cool. So basically, it's the whole, that, that, that entire series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Captain America White as well. Yeah. 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 So um, he's worked on, I mean, like mostly we know him for his DC stuff, right? Especially the mm. Batman franchise and his Rose Gallery, like very famously, uh, his version of Star- Scarecrow has become kind of like the de facto look for Scarecrow in most popular imaginations. Um, mm. and, and yeah, but like, uh, the, I remember really, really enjoying his takes on um, on Daredevil Yellow, uh, Spider-Man uh, and Captain America. Um, yeah. Yeah, but the rest of his stuff, like he had a very iconic kind of like inking style, uh, uh, yep. sketching style that is immediately kind of recognizable. I think a lot of his comic books uh, when they came mm. out had this very minimalist, just kind of black monochromatic, like black and one color kind of monochromatic uh, covers yeah. that really popped, um, you know. And in a time when that felt uh, like pushing boundaries, right? Mm. Like that's something that mm. we feel is very common here. So the man was... Um, a legend and ahead of his time so uh, may he rest in peace and uh, all, all my condolences to the family and his fans yeah the, the industry in general has lost one of the greats uh, of course I actually own um, three different copies of The Long Halloween um, alternate covers definitive edition omnibus and stuff like that um, to me it's an all time comics classic uh, probably mm-hmm. the best street purple back yeah. uh, for the Batman character and has become a profoundly influential text for the character, not just mm-hmm. in comics, but in generations of adaptation with direct lines to what Christopher Nolan has done, what Matt Reeves has done. People keep drawing from this particular comic book uh, in terms of the interpretation of Batman, and I, I understand why The Long Halloween has become such a legend mm-hmm. um, in for a legendary character. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, R.I.P. Tim Sale, you will be missed. Uh, let's begin with... Obi-Wan Kenobi, probably the biggest title that we'll be talking about uh, this month on Genre Equality 55. This latest Star Wars show on Disney Plus is set 10 years after the events of Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, yep. in which uh, the Jedi were destroyed by Order 66 mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan Kenobi's apprentice, Anakin Skywalker, became the Sith Lord Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenobi is now hiding on the planet Tatooine, watching over Anakin's son Luke when one day he is called upon a mission to surprisingly rescue Anakin's daughter Leia after she is kidnapped by the Galactic Empire's Jedi hunting inquisitors mm-hmm. uh, in a plot to draw Obi-Wan Kenobi out. This, of course, leads to a confrontation between Kenobi and Vader, um, which you know, they couldn't resist doing, um, a rematch <laughs> for the ages. Um, pre-match so let's for begin. The ages. Definitely, definitely, man. Um, let's begin with our black belt in Star Wars, oh, uh, Hardy here. <laughs> I mean, if, if if like I'm a black belt in Star Trek, you'll be a black belt in sure. Star Wars. Yeah, I yeah. I think yeah, I'm yeah. a I'm a brown belt in uh, in Star Wars. I'll be but... a brown belt in Star Trek too. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. like uh, I'll I'll defer I'll refer to you lah for Obi Wan Kenobi. What do you think, being the super fan that you are? Mm, this is a hit and miss kind of season, I feel. Wow, coming from Hardy. Wow. wow. I thought you I thought you'd be the positive one and no. I was gonna shit on it, but okay. Um <laughs> because of the fact that we have or we I mean we have certain expectations after the Mandalorian, you see. And yes. know, after the 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 also another hit and miss with uh Boba Fett, right? Mm. Like this this show I mean from the get go really I told you that I didn't think that this show should exist. Mm. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I've already kind of not wanted to see this 
Mm. And so when I saw it and 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 saw what they were trying to do with it, I kind of appreciated some of the things, but really majority of it was unnecessary um yeah. fan service, I guess. You know? Yeah. Like the story yeah. of the, 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 the Inquisitors and all that was so bland. Like it was there was barely any I mean, it was based on. I think I was only focused on one one inquisitor on Rival, I guess you know, and right. her story yeah. wasn't compelling enough to for me to really want to watch this entire season, mm. you know. And I'm not saying because she got a lot of flack, you know, like a lot of like apparently she got a lot of racist comments and all that, uh, yeah. death mm. and all that. Obviously, that's not uh that's not warranted, like you know, mm. but. As a character itself, I think Riva was a very badly done character. Written. Yeah. Written. Uh, not, not Moses Ingram's no, fault. No, no, no. no not what you're, her fault. What you're saying. Yeah, right? It's not her yeah. fault at all. It's like, the character is not good. <laughs> yeah, you any know? um any actor, white, black, green, yeah, yellow, would not be whatever, able to right? make this happen. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, I would say that uh, there, were, there were some moments which I really appreciate is when Obi-Wan is like uh, delving into his emotions his feelings his like his past you know and trying to mm. get in, uh, get get over the fact that he actually lost the wall uh, you know yeah um, the trauma. um even mcgregor's even mcgregor's face acting is probably the best exactly part of Obi-Wan. and yeah, that, yeah. that that i felt was very powerful uh so some of the Darth vader moments were great as well uh mm. especially the final confrontation i felt that was the best confrontation they had mm. um you know but again I still feel. I mean, even after all that, I still feel that this series is quite unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. Um. What about you, Isa? Oh. Um. Biggest revelation from Obi Wan Kenobi has to be Baby Leia. Oh yeah, she was, she, was, she was fun. Phenomenal yeah. performance by the young actress. I give it to her. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, Carrie Fisher is really, really, really proud uh, of <laughs> mm. that performance, right? And I think like those moments were the ones that I definitely enjoyed mm. the most. Mm. Uh, Ewan McGregor mm. continues to be at the top of his game. Like, I, it, it, it did feel at moments that he was just like tired. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because tired of playing the role of genuinely in character, that's the place that Obi-Wan found himself in, right? Or mm-hmm. Ben found himself in, however we want to do it mm-hmm, at this point mm-hmm. in time. Um, I do remember Hits and I were talking when the first couple of episodes came out that uh, we would totally sign up for like a kind of everyday slice of life of uh, Ben Kenobi going to the butchery and just like, you know, following that kind of like long art mm-hmm. form, uh, uh, art house style <laughs> movie on Tatooine. Uh, than what we ac- yeah. yeah. Then what we actually got. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, that being said, I have to agree uh, with Hadi that a lot of the action sequences were great. I thought the action sequences in uh, episode uh, four in particular and in the mm. final, uh, in the finale itself were kind of like spellbinding. Uh, you know, uh, mm. with everything that's gone on with Star Wars and how the series has kind of grown uh, in terms of its like polish and look with technology, uh, those mm. things have definitely grown as well. The question is, is like, honestly, did this, outside of Baby Leia, did this change my life or my understanding of Star Wars in a much deeper way? Probably not. Luke's aunt and uncle are, are, are badass yeah. uh, motherfuckers. Yes, yes, they totally are, right? Um, so yeah. I totally feel like there were portions of it that just didn't quite 
gel mm. well for me. Uh, again, Ma, for me, I want just to add on to that, right? Yeah, like I was so disappointed with Fortress, the the Fortress Inquisitorius. Oh my god! Like yeah. this Fortress had been broken into twice in canon already. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is the worst. And they still have the gall to say, oh yeah, nobody dares to come into this fucking place. I'm like, bro, five years ago, another Jedi just went in and like stole all your things. Yeah. Like well, literally, um, they waltzed in both times. It's yeah, insane. Through the yeah. same way. Yeah. It was the exact yeah. same way. Um, Obi-Wan escaped looking like Vincent Adultman. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Vincent like... Adultman, yeah, with, with the eye in his cloak. Oh mm. my god. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, that, that's a Bojack joke for those who don't get it. But yeah. I'm referring to the trench coat scene, which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> and, uh, so ridiculous. Like then, okay, and that, that was uh, another thing I wanted to add was there were some moments in this series that felt very cheap. Like, oh, yeah. That, you know that snow, the, 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 when they used the, the, what's that? The speeders, right? When they came in. Mm. Um, all of a sudden, they were just there. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> And then, like, the death of the guy was, like, so over-dramatized, like, as if he really meant something. Yeah. But, like, we, but then, it was such a con- incongruency because, like, he literally appeared in screen for five minutes and not, like, 30 seconds and he was gone. And, <sighs> but then, we were supposed to, like, resonate with that and all that. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, issues with this series. I felt... um. The writing could have done a lot better. I, I was a lot. I, I was. I was very disappointed, even though I was already not looking forward to it, lah. I guess. Definitely, definitely. Um, do you think going forward, um, Disney and Lucasfilm will learn your lesson and not hinge so much on legacy characters and prequels, and instead try to push forward in new territory like Mando did? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, did you see the trailer for Endor? Uh, yeah, mm. but Endor actually looks kind of good. Yeah, it looks yeah. a lot more expensive than this series, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Endor has this really like seventies political thriller vibe that I'm digging. Yeah. It, it's very different for Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's 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 the kind of like that's what you're trying to say, right? Like they should explore that kind of you no know, away from new the char- whole Jedi thing and all that, no? New characters, new locations, new yeah, places. Exactly. Um I mean doing this, um there are no stakes for any of the characters. We know what happens to Obi Wan, mm-hmm. he's not gonna die. Leia yeah. won't die, Darth Vader won't die, even the Grand Inquisitor we knew was not gonna die, you know. So because he's coming back in the, Rebels. <laughs> Exactly. So the only character that we sort of, uh, I don't know, have some investment in had to be Reva, right? Yes. And yes. Reva was so fully done. Yes. Um, and, and, and that was the issue with Vista. Like, I'm still looking forward to additional Star Wars shows. I, I, Endor, like you said, looks really good. Hmm. Mando Season 3 yeah. looks amazing. Um, Asuka was, is essentially Rebel Season 6. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- those are all looking good. But they should stop hinging on legacy characters. Look at what how Solo did. Look at how Obi-Wan did. Mm. They are this in the, in the middle of the... Uh, Look how Boba Fett backs. Mm. Look how, Exactly. Stop hinging on legacy characters and try just try to push it forward. These characters are great. Um, we honor them. We revere mm. them. But perhaps the being beholden to canon and the reverence is holding back any sort of innovative storytelling like, because you can't do that with these characters. Yeah. You know? I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, let, let's let's just move on with this and give our ratings. Uh, let's begin with you, Hardy. How would you rate Obi-Wan Kenobi? Um, 5 out of 10. Uh, just pass uh, for me. Alright, what about you, oh. uh, Maisa? Uh, interestingly enough, for once on a Star Wars franchise, I'm going to give it a bit high. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10 just because I love Baby Leia. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, I'm giving it a 4 out of 10, unfortunately. Um, this was a fail for me because of the reasons already specified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, like four, five, six, they're all middle of the road scores. Mm-hmm. And this was the middle of the road uh, show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, what is not a middle of the road show is the other f- prequel series <laughs> that we're going to be talking yeah. about um, from um, Star Wars' natural enemy, I guess. Um, in, you know, in, <laughs> in, uh, in, in our geek habitat, Star Trek and Star Wars are like not... Uh, they're natural enemies, shall we say. Yeah. Um, although we, we are all fans of both franchises. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, let's talk about Star Trek's strange new worlds. Mm. Um, Star Trek's grand return, right? First with Discovery, and now what feels like a whole flotilla of shows transformed the franchise into a series of very serialized, action-oriented adventures for the most part, mm-hmm. which is a distinct shift from the more philosophical, thoughtful, and standalone episodic style that had largely guided the franchise since its inception in the 60s. Yeah. Um, with Strange New Worlds, it wisely re-embraces that old format once more, mm-hmm. and in doing so, stands apart from its current contemporaries as the best Star Trek show around. Um, on the surface, Strange New Worlds sits at a peculiar crossroads. It's technically a prequel to the original 1960s Star Trek show, mm-hmm. the original series, mm-hmm. but it's also technically a sequel spin-off to the second season of Star Trek Discovery, yeah. which introduced the main trio of Enterprise officers in Strange New Worlds, Ensign Mounts as Christopher Pike, mm-hmm. Ethan Peck as uh, Lieutenant Spock, mm-hmm. and Rebecca Romaine as number one. Number one. Um, where the newer shows juked away from the aesthetic and tonality of the original Star Trek to differentiate itself, Strange New Worlds wholeheartedly embraces the classic form from top to bottom, not just because it's set on the Enterprise just a few years before Captain Kirk will sit in the command chair, but because Strange New Worlds' earnest embrace of its roots is worn with pride. I think overall, Strange New Worlds is absolutely nailing the basics of what makes Star Trek great. And best of all, it's also a fun, breezy time that once again focuses on the morality, the anthropology, the sociology of their, of their, of their corner of the galaxy. This is the best Star Trek since Enterprise ended in 2005. Mm-hmm. Hey, and I'm here for it, man. Um, what about you, Hardy? What do you think about Strange New Worlds? Uh, Strange New Worlds is strangely a breath of fresh air the whole Star Trek. Uh, TV series yeah. landscape la. yeah, um, yeah I think there were I mean Discovery kind of went uh, it's so disappointing because they kind of were going towards a very good direction and then suddenly it just went crazy <laughs> uh, and and Star Trek Brave New Worlds even though uh, it's exploring things that we kind of already I mean seen in in terms of like uh, in format la, right it's a very familiar yeah. kind of format Mm. One thing is that I find the earnestness, is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> of the show really endearing. La. You know, mm. there's something about this crew of Enterprise that uh just works out works really well. Mm. Uh from from Spock, I mean because we've seen Spock and, and uh Pike and uh number one all in Discovery, right? Season two. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. They kind of work as these legacy characters, lah, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we mm-hmm. have so many versions of Spock right now. We have three, I think. Four. Um, three. Three. Okay, yeah. And each with their own kind of like, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Um, technically, two actors have only played him in canon. Like, the oh. third Spock from the movies is it's... from a different timeline. Oh, yeah, 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 timeline. Correct, 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 yeah. correct. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, whatever it is, uh, yeah. I've I find myself looking forward to watching Strange New Worlds, which is 
mm-hmm. very different from how I experienced with Discovery lah. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying that this show is the best Star Trek show out there because the best Star Trek show out there is the Orville, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so I mean, just by technicality, lah, because the Orville is not technically, technically a Star, Star Trek, Trek show, show. Yeah, this is the best. This Star is Trek the best show Star Trek show. Yeah, and 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 I'm really glad for it, lah, because all the the episodes, even though it's episodic and all that, it's really actually quite entertaining, and yeah. um and kind of like uh a lot more logical, like the the the. The way that they address the problems and solve the problems is a lot more logical than what they'll do in Discovery. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's oh, yeah. a, and that's why I want to compare lah because Discovery is a, the 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 best. I mean, the closest comparison right now, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of the the, yeah. the, the 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 recencies of the shows. So uh, Picard lah, I guess it's more recent. Uh, yeah, but Picard is not yeah. really a Star Trek show. Star Trek show. Yeah. It's an it's an Indiana Jones action adventure. Exactly. Show, right? <laughs> yeah. With with a, a geriatric Captain Picard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, <sighs> yeah, I mean I guess after being constantly disappointed by all of modern Star Trek, mm-hmm. anything after 2005, I was quite hesitant to give Strange New Worlds a shot. Yeah. Yep. Um from Discovery to Picard to even JJ Abrams's garbage movies, the new tracks have again and again betray the core values of exploration mm-hmm. and diplomacy and anthropology of Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. They favorite serialized bang, bang, boom, boom, pew, pew, action, adventure bullshit. And Star Trek to me has always been about going to a new planet. Science. Encou- uh, yeah, yeah, encountering a new scientific or moral or ideological dilemma from interactions with a foreign culture. Yeah, exactly. And then people sitting in a room having good faith debates about those issues. Um, yes, sometimes conflicts occur when problems cannot be resolved through dialogue. It happens. Mm-hmm. But Star Trek always treats conflict as a last resort. It teaches us, that, teaches us that problems are best solved through diplomacy and mutual understanding and compromise, never fighting. Um, and yet, the new regime that runs Star Trek seems to believe that such things are old-fashioned. Like, yeah. every story is now serialized. It's always about defeating an evil alien baddie by fighting space battles yeah. and starting intergalactic wars. And what happened to the Star Trek, I love, the shows about yeah. enlightened beings who want to go to the stars, mm-hmm. not to make enemies. They want to make friends. Legitimately, it's about uh, it's about communication and connection. They want to make friends. They're not looking for enemies. Mm-hmm. And after being crushed for nearly two decades, it seemed impossible to me that Star Trek would ever find its way back to its roots. Yeah. So, of course, Strange Wars came as a huge shock and a sigh of relief when I started watching it. Mm-hmm. The Star Trek I loved is back. It's here. Strange New Worlds is a refreshing throwback, not just because it's a prequel, but because it embraces everything that makes Star Trek great. Exactly. Episodic storytelling. Issues settled through diplomacy, scientific anomalies that make you rethink your worldview, and good-hearted people who just want to help. And it's all presented in this very fun, breezy package, wrapped in really great production values, and a likable cast from Uhura to everyone else yeah, that have they have instant chemistry. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the pilot, when when you know the first planetary conflict right, mm, was mm. resolved with a literal ethics lesson, yeah. I actually kind of almost cried. Um, it's corny, but it's precisely the Star Trek that I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the hope, yeah exactly. Same. You know, um, okay. Captain Pike and Obi-Wan are kind of similar because we all know how it's going to end, right? Yeah. But the journey there doesn't have to be meaningless. Yeah, I agree. And Captain Pike's journey here is not meaningless. That's the whole point of this show. Um, Captain Pike knows what happens to him. He has seen a glimpse of the future, but he's trying to make the most of it mm. right now. Um, and, you know, we are kind of living in the most, I guess, divisive era of my lifetime, at least. So perhaps the hope, optimism, and ethics of classic Star Trek is the type of sci-fi we need 
the most right now. Mm-hmm. And Strange New Worlds definitely delivers that. Uh, do you agree, Hardy? Uh, many I other agree. thoughts on Strange New Worlds? I yeah. mean, that first episode did it, man. Like, when they mm. decided to go down and freaking, like, you know, first of all, they had to still show off that they had the biggest gun, right? Sure. So yeah. that they could just control the narrative of the two sides, right? Yeah. I love that, you know, like, they had the biggest stick, so here we are, we're going to negotiate, you know? Yeah. Instead of, like, you know, just telling them what to do, like, they really negotiated, you know? Mm. I mean, yeah, I know it's simplified and all that stuff, but, like, it's such a breath of fresh air. And, mm. you know, to see, like, like hatreds, you know, like, thousand-year hatreds go away after, you know, whatever, like, I know it's a bit idealistic and all that. But still, it was sure. fun to watch, you know? Yeah. And... Yeah, it didn't. Uh, you know, there was no um, um, ex- major explosions or like uh, intergalactic battles and all that. But like that was how it should be resolved, uh, You know, and then you know, Prime Directive becomes. You know, that's how Prime mm-hmm. Directive started, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, at this particular point, the Prime Directive hasn't actually been implemented yeah. yet. Um, it, this was the point where Prime Directive is starting to be implemented yeah. and this is how they're they are getting to their philosophy of non-interference. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, yeah. so great, good for them. Like, and then, you know, as they go off, jet off into space, yeah, now we have a new planet under the... What? The, the Gallic... The Federation. The Federation. Like. The yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely, you know. Um, even, you know, some of the smaller episodes, mm. like, you know, um, every Star Trek show has a Shaw Leaf episode. Oh, I love the uh, Shaw Leaf really, episode. You know, weirdly enough, Discovery has not given us a Shawleaf episode. Like, those guys need a break. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, just um, Spock spending time with fiance, the mm. weird body swap comedy thing that they did. Yeah. Um, Ca- Captain Pike kind of uh, mediating uh, a-, a new entrance into the Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're even doing interesting things with bits of canon that are not very... That people quite hate, you know, like, Spock's brother, Cyborg, is back. Um, and nobody likes him, but this show is actually uh, doing something interesting yeah, with him. I liked it, yeah. Um, Le'an, who whose last name, um, Nunian Singh, Singh. Um, it, it's, I mean, come on, they're they are, they are going to do a card thing soon, sure. and I'm really here for it, like, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not as beholden to canon, and if they are beholden to canon, they have an unexpected layer to it that we've not seen before, mm-hmm. you know, something that, like, Obi-Wan doesn't have, for example, yeah. or Solo, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's it's very, very cool. Um, the only thing I have to push back on a little bit sure. is some people are saying that this is the best track since TNG. Ooh. Uh, it's very good. Don't get me wrong. Strange Wolves is very good. But let's not get carried away here. Strange Wolves is, is better than Disco. It's better than Picard. But it's a long way to go. Um, it's not even close to DS9 or Voyager or even Enterprise yet. You know? And there's like it's, second, it's third, not... and fourth specials. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. So it has, it has quite a ways to go. La. I'm not saying it's not good, but it's very good. But come on, la. like DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise have earned yeah. a measure of respect. I think by... you need like a few more seasons under your belt before you can make that decision. Sure, yeah. The, I mean, those shows that we talked about have like four, five, six, like banger seasons back to back to back exactly. to back. You know? Like like Strange Wolves has to do this for more than one season. Yeah. Then I will start start to rank it above. La. But I'm very, I'm very encouraged about what I've seen Same. so far. Yeah, I, I got, I got uh, a feeling they that one day it might be in the top five. Sure. Yeah. sure. A, a top five for Star Trek shows is very difficult to get into. Exactly. They have, they have quite a huge list of very good shows up there, including the original series, which is still up there. You yeah. Know? Um, so yeah, um, final thoughts and your rating, Hardy. Uh, how would you rate Saints Um, Honestly, this is an easy 8 out of... 8.5, I'll say, out of 10 for me. 
All right. Uh, this is an eight out of ten for me. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen, very highly rated. I'm excited to watch it every week. You know. Same. Um. So yeah, this is cool. Uh, before we move on to our next uh, topic, though, I do have to tell Hardy that um, I spent the weekend watching Discovery Season 4. Ah, um, and I, I kind of forgot, what was your rating for Discovery Season 4? Not good, I can I think. Damn, okay. I kind of was... I, I, I think I give it a 5 or 4. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like a 5 or 10 season. It's, it's way better than Season 3, <laughs> I, I thought. Oh, okay. Um like I like that it was a, a 13 episode diplomatic mission yeah. um, which mm-hmm. I've never seen before it was all about uh, Burnham learning to compromise you know she's never she's always been uncompromising right mm-hmm. but as, ca- as a captain she has to find middle ground now mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting arc for her and for everyone else from Tilly to um, Tal and everyone else I don't know I find Tilly, um, I, I just found their characters so like I'm just so sick of it really like I don't know why la. maybe I'm just tired from just watching it back to back now Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I like that it was actually a diplomatic mission. Mm. Um, it's serialized, but it is a Star Trek mission. You know, mm. they're making first contact. They're trying to learn an alien culture. Um, and it's probably the, it's the first time a starship has gone outside of our galaxy. So that's very interesting too. Yeah, um, Yeah. I, I, I I'll give it a 5 out of 10 because it introduced a lot of new things um, and wasn't as bad as season 3, mm. which was just oof, horrendous. Uh, anyways, uh, let's move on to the fourth and final season of Stranger Things. Mm. This is Netflix's era-defining sci-fi horror show, and it returns in a big way after a three-year hiatus for its fourth and final season. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a sprawling everything, including the kitchen sink uh, batch <laughs> of new episodes um, that are honestly way too big for their own good. It is broken up into two parts, with seven episodes in May and two episodes on July 1st. Uh, this incredibly bloated season features some... <laughs> fearsome run times. Um, you can already feel fatigue just looking at the duration of each episode. The shortest of the May episodes is 70 minutes long. Yep. The longest is 100 minutes. The rest are all in their 70s to 80s. Um, the two July episodes are even longer with the first being an hour 25 minutes mm-hmm. and the second finale being two and a half hours long. Um, there is a very good season of Stranger Things in here somewhere, yeah. but it is jockeying for space with what feels like an entire additional or maybe two extra seasons, less interesting seasons that are running concurrently. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a Russian prison break, yeah. there are nefarious government factions battling each other, the usual teen drama, not just in Hawkins, but in California too. Um, there is a new monster called Vecna from the Upside Down and so Ooh, much more. Vecna. And it feels like the show does too much to give its large ensemble of admittedly fantastic actors something to do. Mm-hmm. But sadly, most of what we see is not that interesting. Um, in some instances, I guess, especially with the horror fantasy aspects in Hawkins, mm-hmm. this is some of the best work that the Duffer Brothers have done, particularly with the body horror and Max's arc, uh, probably the best thing that The Stranger Things has ever done. Um, but, you know, the other stuff in Russia, Alaska, and California is just not good. Yeah. Um, let's begin with a more positive thought. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm very down on this season. I don't like it at all. But what about you, Hadi? You, you seem to be a bit more positive with uh, the final season of Stranger Things. Okay, it's again a mixed bag, okay? Okay. But I did like the epic moments when it came. Mm. Uh, first of all, the California characters just... Ugh. Yeah, boring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, apart from Eleven, <laughs> once she got kidnapped and all that, like, really, they had nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Once yeah. Eleven was taken out of that, right, that equation, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what the rest of them are there. Like, just forget about them, like, you know? Like, mm-hmm. the Hawkins guys had a really interesting, like, uh, murder mystery thing that they had to figure out. So, yes. I kind of like that part. And, I, um, yep. 
I really enjoy like how they solve Max's uh issue lah, you know. That, uh, not no spoilers, but everyone knows uh, how she solves the issue. Yeah, I mean mm. episode it's four. Meme, I mean yeah. freaking Kate Bush number one in in the world <laughs> right now, you know. Mm-hmm. And that that moment was so epic. Like I felt that that was one of the most epic Stranger Things moments of. Uh, I mean, I think everybody's seen that clip, like, it's on YouTube and all that. Like. Sure, sure. Yeah. I, I actually think it's the best moment that Stranger Things has ever put together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and this is quite quite emblematic of, like, there are so many of the best things that Stranger Things has ever yeah. done, but they're squeezed in between some of the worst things exactly. Stranger Things have ever done. Yeah. yeah, and that was the only issue that I, I feel that um, was with this show, like, that there's a lot of crap just to get to the best parts. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, Will... Like literally, that's the most useless character I ever met in my life. <laughs> He's been useless in season one, bro. Exactly. Yeah. Like ever since he came back from upside down, it has not improved. You know. Yeah. And he's crying about his best friend now. You know, best friends with me anymore. I don't care. I don't care, bro. You are a plot device. You're clearly a plot device. That's Go why I don't away. Care about you. you know, yeah. like yeah. So there's a lot of things like that, lah. Um, now that he's no longer a plot device, <laughs> why, why, why we still hanging out with you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so mean, right? But yeah. Yeah, like, but it's true. And then uh, what I did enjoy, okay, so past that, that Max episode, then there's a lot more, like just like, I know the Russia thing, la, this, la, that. Mm. La. And then, you know, that, that moment when we find out who Vecna is, la. Mm. you know and yep, yep. and that was kind of cool so I kind of want to see that but then I feel like I have to get through like another 12 hours of of ri- ridiculousness before I get to that part again you know I agree I agree. like I just oh. hope that that I mean no no actually all the runtime like nearly 2 hours each right yep. yep even like the next part right <laughs> the next parts are even longer oh, the finale no. is, is, is close to 3 hours yeah uh, <sighs> I mean I, I I really think that if they could have shortened it. I think they could have shortened it, you know. Mm. And if they had shortened it, it would be one of the greatest seasons. But I feel there's so much crap in between everything mm. because there's so many great moments. It's just like you have to wait for all those great moments, like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about you, Isa? What What do you think about season four, Stranger Things? Man, um, agree on many of the stuff that you guys have already covered. But this was a slog to get through. Uh, which I feel is extremely unfortunate. Uh, some of the standout yep. moments that you guys have already talked about, and but the ones that stand out for me were really kind of tiny moments that were kind of mm. like a nod to, you know, the earlier seasons itself, and the fact that uh, when these kids are playing Dungeons and Dragons, right, like mm. rolling a net twenty and then screaming about it, and then going to someone who's new to it and saying like, "This is why we play," is exactly what I experienced. Very, that awesome. that, yeah, that, like that was that, so, that D&D, so uh, episode that right, you're talking yeah, about, where the, amazing the, the, the stuff. Sister joined them, right? Yes, mm, yes, Erica. yeah, because yeah, like yeah. that, that makes it so much easier for me to explain why I spend so much of my time playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I can just mm. show people this clip, and I think like that was one of the most kind of true to life and a very short, very concise kind of like love letter to the game in and of itself. That being yeah. said, um. Uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast just released a new Vecna stat block for yeah. you Dungeons and Dragons people out there. Uh, that yeah. the timing has to be, it has to be right. Um, it is just too coincidental that they released that and then Stranger Things we get we get our own kind of version of Vecna here, and it yeah. was just one of those things that bucked me at the back of my head while I was watching that. I was like, hmm, okay la, can la, I, I, I'll <laughs> let this go. There have been better iterations of like people using the. I know it's not actually Vecna, but people using the Vecna character and obviously mm-hmm. clearly inspired by those things. 
mm-hmm. um, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, honestly, it could be a, a third as long and even better than what it is now. Like even splitting yep. this into two different seasons would not have been two great seasons, right? It's just really picking yep. that and like Hits and I have already kind of covered about, uh, talked about the bloat problem that a lot mm. of streaming services have been suffering from because mm. they've moved the goalposts, right? Like now it's about how many hours of content you are getting through. Uh, I don't think it's fair for us to have to sift through so much just to get what we want out of a franchise that we've invested so much in. Uh, mm. It feels, it, it cheapens the experience. Uh, and yep. uh, yeah, overall, it was because of that. That's why it didn't sit well for me. But when it was mm. great, it was great. When it wasn't great, it was horrible. So I don't know, man. I'm kind of split down the center as well. I mean, I yeah, I, yeah. I, I just had to agree with you on the D&D part again. Yes, like, absolutely. When, when that moment when they were I'm sorry, I'm just gonna geek out a bit, okay? But sure. that moment when um they 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 finally realized that it was Vecna that they were fighting because of the eye and the hand, right? Yep. And I was yep. like, Oh shit, that's Vecna. Like before even like the guy was calling it out, we, yep. I, I think if you're a D and D person, like, oh fuck, that's Vecna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really Vecna. And Vecna is a legendary character, so there's there's you know what the fuck they were going in for, right? Like, there's yes. going to be a fight of their life kind of thing. Absolutely. Like, it's going to take 10 hours or something like that just to go through this fight. So, mm. you know, that, that I mean, I know they dumped it down to that that, that last role and all that, lah, but still yeah. the epicness of it was there, which I thought yeah. was very, very well done, lah, especially mm-hmm. if you're a D&D fan. Lah. Agreed, agreed. Mm. Like, that bit of fan service was yeah. really, really rewarding. Yeah, it was. And, uh, it was. yeah. Yeah, at least now I have something within popular culture that is like very kind of close to the actual experience to kind of show yeah. people. Oh, you watched season yeah. four Stranger Things? No, yeah, I had one of my D and D, one of my D and D, uh, like nerdy friends. Right, he was yeah. like, uh, actually, if they kill Wagner, then he'll go back to his factory, and then he'll he'll come back. He's not actually dead. And I was like, guys, calm down. Yeah, yeah. it's just I a mean, show. Yeah, it's all it's all fair, right? Like I just yeah. like the representation of that. Like th- I think when Stranger Things first came out was a period of time when D and D started to pick up interest yeah. in greater kind of a mainstream pool, together with like yeah. the rise of like D twenty and CR and as well. Yeah. Right. So like all of that has caused the game to grow in popularity a fair bit, but they never mm-hmm. quite explored that past kind of like the initial seasons, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, or like just will when he comes back, just like guys, I just want to play D and D. Right. I feel yeah. like that all the fucking time. Um, but you know, like kudos to them, like yeah. uh, like spendings. They they had so much time. Uh, the only time that I can excuse them spending extra time doing is playing D and D. Yeah, yeah. Um, also on that note, uh, on Critical Role site, if you haven't seen the latest uh Cal- Calamity series, oh my oh, god, oh yeah, um, it was so good. Shout out to the CR crew. Shout out to Brandon Lee Mulligan uh, and Ooh. all the guest stars that were there. Uh, best. D and I've ever seen in my life, ever and I've seen, seen a lot yeah. of D and D. That was um, the best. Mm. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah. ratings, guys. Yeah. We've granted a fair bit. <laughs> ratings. Uh, I think uh, I'll give it sure. a six out of five. Uh, six out of ten. Because... <laughs> well, six out of five is very high. Though. <laughs> <laughs> a six out of ten uh, because I think the six will be for the epic, epicness of some parts, lah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, uh, what about you guys? Sir? Oh man. Uh, I'm gonna give it like a five point five. Right. Mm. Like you made me sit through too much. If it was less of that, if like 60% good and 40% bad, I would definitely have favoured it there. This mm, felt like yeah. too much of a slog. Yeah, it felt never ending. So I'm just going to... Yeah, yeah. I kept checking the uh, runtime as I was watching, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's a big like red flag for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, um, this was a very convoluted jumble. Overlong farewell to what is the biggest, the streaming defining uh, show, mm. uh, you know, of the streaming era. This is this is it. Stranger Things is the the show that defines streaming, and yep. I'm very sad that it, it was this big of a mess. <laughs> um, in in a surprise to no one, longer does not equal better. It's a lesson we've all learned, yeah. and Stranger Things seems to not have learned that. Uh, sadly, despite you know, my love for Kate Bush, you know, and one of the greatest songs in the 20th century, finding new life in the 21st century for a whole new generation. Oh, yeah. um, it's a 4 out of 10 for me, uh, unfortunately. Um, do you 654 Say again? We did another 654. We did another 654, that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I've had a particularly busy uh, month, I guess, watching things. Mm-hmm. And I got very angry with Stranger Things because I felt it wasted my time. So perhaps... <laughs> Uh, but, but perhaps I would have rated it higher in a different month when I wasn't so busy. Like, but goddamn, yeah, this was this was a four. And if I if I was generous, it was a five, like, But for now, it's a four. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, that wraps it up for Hardy's hey, portion of uh, genre equality. Uh, go and watch AEW Forbidden Door, Hardy. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, what we're going to do tomorrow. now. Actually. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, Hardy. So, so. Uh, we'll catch you next month where we'll talk about the Orville. It's a fantastic oh, show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, goodbye then. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to play out. Bye. Uh, now I'm going to delve into quick hits, uh, the little segment where I talk about the movies and TV shows that my co host may not have had time to watch this mm-hmm. month. Um, I'm going to kick it off with Lightyear, which is spun off from the Toy Story franchise. Uh, Pixar's Lightyear is a sci fi action adventure that tells the origin story of Buzz Lightyear, not the toy but the hero who inspired the toy in Toy Story. Um, Lightyear follows the legendary space ranger after he's marooned on a hostile planet. Um, 4.2 million light years from mm-hmm. Earth uh, alongside his commander and their crew. So Buzz tries to find a way back home through space and time. He is joined by a group of ambitious recruits and a charming robot cat called Socks. Uh, complicating matters and threatening the mission is the arrival of Zerg, an imposing uh, presence with an army of ruthless robots and a mysterious agenda. Uh, Lightyear is, in essence, a light, breezy, average Disney movie that just so happens to feature Pixar's MVP, uh, while barely feeling like a Pixar movie at all. This is just a straight-up, middle-of-the-road Disney film. Mm-hmm. It's a film of modest charms and mediocre pleasures, enough to help pass a summer afternoon, perhaps, but not enough to quell the sense that this was made for perhaps less than creative decisions. Mm. This is perhaps more of a cheap IP cash grab that captures but a fraction of the comedy, the frills, and the poignancy of the Toy Story franchise. Uh, unfortunately, so it's a 5 out of 10 for me. Uh, next up, we head into the Umbrella Academy Season 3, which picks up right after the Season 2 finale where the Hargreaves siblings time-hopped out of 1960s Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. only to find that their actions have altered the original 2019 timeline. They find that their adopted father, Sir Reginald Hargreaves, is now alive and has a whole different family of adopted super children called the Sparrow Academy. Uh, Plot-wise, for a series that has enjoyed topping itself with the complexity of his storylines year after year, with, you know, the ramifications of doing X eventually resulting in the chaos of Y, Mm -hmm. um, season three takes the first two seasons and says, hold my beer. Um, (laughs) 
on one hand, kudos to showrunner Steve Blackman and his writers for not getting sloppy in regards to, you know, ignoring unfinished storylines and then packing more new storylines on top of it. Yep. Um, they pick up and run with a lot of story threads that were embedded in previous seasons and finally flesh them out here, which is appreciated, particularly how the show addresses uh, Ellen Page's gender transition to Elliot Page. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite fantastic and sensitive and simple and quite beautiful, if I might say so. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, the entirely new cast and new timeline, the addition of a myriad of secrets and major twists and an expanded storyline for Sir Reginald, and mom, um, you know, the robot mom, it's it's exhausting to track and follow it all. Um, perhaps eight episodes would have been more effective in creating a more tightly coiled season with a more stream with more streamlined stories and yeah. less meandering between major story things. In the end, though, it feels like a very densely plotted season that seems to undercut the potency of emotional moments by trying to pay too many things off. Uh, it's a six out of ten for me, a decent season, but not a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, let's talk about Spiderhead, which is a new sci-fi film on Netflix from Top Gun Maverick director Joseph Kosinski. The movie takes place in a state-of-the-art penitentiary run by a brilliant visionary called Steve Abnesty, uh, played by Chris Hemsworth here. Um, inside the prison, inmates wear a surgically attached device that administers dosage, uh, dosages of mind-altering drugs in exchange for commuted sentences. Um, so there are no bars, no cells, no orange jumpsuits. Um, in Spiderhead, the incarcerated volunteers are free to be themselves, mm. except they're not. Mm. Mm. At times, they're a better version. You know, um, Need to lighten up, there's a drug for that. At a loss for words, there's a drug for that. Um, so their, their, their brains are they're altered like, by these uh, mind-altering drugs. You know? um, but then when two subjects, particularly uh, Jeff played by Miles Teller and Lizzie played by Janice Molay, uh, they form a connection, um, their path to redemption uh, takes a twistier turn when Abnesty's experiments start to push the limits of uh, not simply behavior mo- alteration, but it, it, it might curtail free will altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a movie so preoccupied with the idea of choice, the choices that people can make and all of that, you know, the, the, the idea of free will, uh, which you know, we've seen so many times in sci-fi films and TV shows, um, Spider-Hit itself... Um, I find it interesting that it makes the least interesting choices available to it. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. for for a movie that has the free will to do anything, it always seems to do the worst thing uh, narratively. Um, Spiderhead feels very derivative and only superficially interested in the big ideas and ethical conundrums that brings that it brings up. Yeah. Uh, so it's a four four out of ten for me, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Joseph Kosinski's fault, but mostly the writing's fault. Uh, sadly. Yeah. Uh, finally, let's talk about Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, Colin Trevorrow's Jurassic World, World trilogy caps off with his third film in the franchise entitled Dominion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominion takes place four years after Isla Nuba had been destroyed in the second movie. Dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. Um, honestly, it was a Hail Mary to bring back the Jurassic Park original cast. You know, yeah. This was kind of like a, a break in, in case of emergency type of thing. You know? uh, bring back the old cast <laughs> for no, a nostalgia pop. You know, uh, but their big meeting with the Jurassic World cast has the unintended effect of reminding us how little we have come to care about the new cast. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, there are some genuinely exciting action sequences that do save Dominion from being a complete dud. Um, there is a thrilling raptor versus motorbike chase uh, in Rome being one of the highlights. Um, otherwise, this film is a great case study of how Trevorrow and his team have refused to learn 
from their film's own message. Mm. You should never bring the dead thing back to life. No, <laughs> no matter how beautiful or unique or majestic the original thing was, stop. Do not bring it back to life. Um, in terms of story, thematically and emotionally, this one is quite a pure flop. Um, it wastes a genuinely cool premise just to redo the same beats and set pieces from previous movies. Um, this is The Force Awakens of uh, Jurassic uh, Park, if, if I may say so. Yeah. Um, and nostalgia nearly isn't enough to mask how lazy and or insipid this was. Mm. Unfortunately, it's a 3 out of 10 for me. Um, partially redeemed by some great chase sequences, but other than that, eh, give this one a miss. Yeah. Um, so that wraps it up for this episode's Quick Hits. Let's move on to Isa's Anime Corner, which seems to be... Uh, more interesting than Quick Hits this month. Uh, yes. What do you have for us, Isaac? Okay, so let's let's uh, kind of just dive straight in. Uh, I'm going to really quickly go through some returning anime and some thoughts about that. Uh, we got the third season of Kaguya-sama Love is War entitled uh, Ultra Romantic. Still extremely funny and perhaps one of the, continuing one of, to be one of the best romantic gag animes that are out there. At the moment, I mm. don't know how they've not exhausted the similar thematic themes they've done for three seasons, but they con- it continues to be hilariously like laugh out loud, grip your sides funny. Uh, really, really enjoying yeah. that. Season two of Komi Can Communicate is also back. Uh, I believe that they are catching up on Netflix at the moment as well, so you can go ahead and watch that on Netflix. Um, it's just the unfolding story. There is a bit more kind of progression uh, this time around, uh, other than the kind of like slice of life scene. scene thing uh, the character arcs are developing which is nice to see in a what is a very kind of low stakes um, mm. uh, comedy anime about uh, social anxiety and I've been really enjoying that uh, The Rising of the Shiro Hero Season 2 is nonsense don't bother watching uh, which is extremely oh, okay. disappointing because we are well I highly Highly recommended the first one. Uh, I think mm. its subversion of, uh, you know, the isekai hero tropes was very, very, um, very interesting in the way that they kind of approached it, right, uh, for season one. But in season two, they fall right back into those same tropes again. And it, nothing that they have mm. tried in season two uh, has managed to save it. There are some interesting possible plot points that may in the future be be kind of cool but like outside of that like the pacing is poor it feels like the animation has gotten sloppy uh the story is non-existent uh as far as i'm concerned and there's no real character growth from the first season which is a pity because like i think they ended off in such a great way um this feels like one of those things that is continuing for the sake of continuing either that or they're just trying to set up for a next season which i really can't say i enjoy um, mm. the last okay. returning one is called Science Fell in Love so I tried to prove it this is also another kind of like romantic gag anime uh, that uh, whose first season I did cover a long time ago under some notable mentions uh, it is back it, it continues to be funny and it talks about uh, uh, these two particular scientists who are trying to scientifically dissect what love is about on like a physical uh, on a physics and chemical and biological level uh, it has been. It was. It was pretty funny in the first season, uh, and continues to be funny on that level. If you enjoyed the first season, the second season gives you more of the same without it being tired. And uh, those are the four kind of big returning ones that I had to say something about. Like honestly, I would have dropped Rising of the Hill Shiro, but given how much I raved about season one, I had to just uh, tell people like, look, I know it's popping up on your screen as a recommendation, but no lie, it's okay. Right, right. Yeah, just save yourself. 
the time. Like that's three to four hours of your time better spent watching basically anything else on the list. Uh, we are going to move on to new anime this season. Uh, nice. We, we have had... Um, okay, since the odd taxi season, right? Like it's been very hard mm. for any season following that to kind of like keep up. I do think that we have some really, really good standouts. I'm going to talk about the notable mentions for the new ones. And then uh, Hits mm. and I are going to dive into the two that we think are must-watches. Uh, for this particular season. Mm. Uh, first of all, we're okay. going to talk about Summertime Render, uh, which is, oh man, for all intents and purposes, is a uh, is a murder mystery set on an island that includes time jumping. Uh, in um, in a lot of like kind of uh, throwbacks to ReZero, in a lot of kind of throwbacks to a lot of Tana's Dab, even like Dark and stuff like that, right? We follow uh, Shinpei Ajiro, who has lived with uh, the Kofuni family after the death of his parents uh, and the Kofuni family's two daughters, Mio and Ushio. Uh, he mm. continues, he leaves the island to continue his education in Tokyo and then returns after a while, after one of the sisters, the younger one, uh, Ushio, tragically drowns uh, during the attempted rescue of a uh, of a young girl, um, during the funeral, his best friend's mom informs him, or, or his best friend informs him that you know uh, there were signs of foul play, uh, casting doubt on the way that she died, and it sends him into an investigation to find out how his childhood friend uh, actually passed away. Uh, him mm. suspecting murder has taken place. Uh, he reevaluates kind of the recent events since he's coming back to the island itself. Uh, but strange incidences continue to happen on the island itself. Um, there people okay. start to disappear. There are unexplainable kind of phenomena that occur, um, leading Mio, uh, the older sister um, and his childhood friend, to recall an old folk tale regarding these entities called shadows who may inhabit the island and might be the reason for all of this. Um, mm. Yeah, so there is a lot of secrets that they need to uncover. Um, what's interesting about this is that while I was following this, because um, the the soundtrack is kind of ace and it's pretty eye catching for the artwork. Uh, oh, yeah. So we we go through like three episodes. Um, Shinpei dies, and then he goes back in time, and then mm. the whole thing like re re he has to revisit the entire thing from a different timeline. Uh, from an earlier mm. timeline and this repeats itself several times over at no point in time through all his time travelling does it feel like he's treading old ground uh, which is mm. to say a lot because like some of our favourite time travelling uh, kind of anime right I'm, I'm thinking about Steins Gate and stuff like that we constantly go back to the similar things right and that's to reinforce the fact that you know a lot of the time you are treading back old ground um, there's a lot of good tension building within summertime rendering that I found surprising. It's not perfect. I do feel like some of the characters are very flat uh, overall because we are sacrificing uh, character development within the story itself for the plot, right? And, you know, as with all kind of time travel stories, it's hard to kind of like keep all those threads together. Shinpei himself is not the most likable protagonist. In fact, he's a lo he's, he's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> that has like these do ex machina moments of like incredible insight uh, which I also found annoying but all in all like yep. I think it was a valiant attempt at this kind of murder mystery with time travel anime cliche um, that that was gripping and entertaining for the most part so uh, Summertime Render mm. is my first one the second one which I think okay. uh, is borderline might be my third favourite from this season and wholly Ooh, unexpected, 
Uh, and uh, as you can see, there are a couple of great kind of sports-related uh, anime that I'll be talking about. It's called Dance, Dance, Dancer, right? We follow uh, a character called Junpei who has had this, like, uh, 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 budding love affair with ballet. Uh, that started when he went to his sister's ballet recital and one of the male ballet dancers roused his interest with an amazing kind of performance, right? However, Junpei being brought up in a very kind of like, um, uh, mm, you know, patriarchal society, masculinity, all of that, right? Decides to uh, kill his hidden secret passion uh, for fear of his friends and family find, seeing him as effeminate. So he joins the soccer club, he trains uh, in uh, Jeet Kune Do, right? And is intent on following his father's footsteps to become a, a stunt coordinator, right? All the okay. manly, possible manly activities that he can do. Uh, however, further down the line, when he joins high school, Junpei has a classmate called Miyako who manages to see him demonstrating an impressive kick that was a combination of like his Jit Kundo training and some skills from ballet that he seems to have like effervesced into his his uh, skill set. Um, and as he shows that off to his friends, uh, she decides to recruit him and she decides to recruit him by flashing him. Uh, and mm. I'm not really sure how that's important, but it's a small, just kind of like moment of like weirdness that there. He, uh, after a lot of resistance, and although he has abandoned his long, kind of like kept secret dream of pursuing ballet, uh, he does eventually uh, rediscover ballet and the euphoria that he joined. And a lot of it has to do with his journey of rediscovering that desire and dealing with the social implications of his decision to do that uh, relearning or kind of like disp dispensing of all the notions that he had that you know he would be he would be laughed at and, and be called a feminine that it is an incredibly yeah. touching story with some amazingly beautiful um, amazingly beautiful animation the way that it captures movement uh, MAPPA is the studio that is responsible for this so that explains a great deal of the quality of the artwork and the animation here um, it is very very enjoyable just to see like these moments of freedom being captured in in beautifully rendered movement uh, and on top of that having like a very kind of like well planned out character arc for our protagonist itself uh, with a very touching and heartfelt story that that isn't afraid to get into like the nitty gritty of like you know what what's considered uh, acceptable for a boy to pursue right in terms of his passions and his interests like dance dance dancio uh, could have easily made it uh, into like the, my top picks for this but it sits very comfortably at the place right now um, in in a in a surprise to me and apparently to a lot of other people as well. Moving on, mm. another sports anime. This time we're going to the world of soccer. Al oh. Al Ashi is basically okay. um okay. So we've got Captain oh no what is it Captain Tsubasa in Reserve Eleven. That's kind of like when people ask you if there's a soccer anime that's pretty good. All right, you're gonna name those two. Al Ashi has taken top place in that right now. Like this this anime aspires to. Uh, this anime aspires to Haikyuu levels as far as sports anime goes, right? I don't think it mm. quite reaches that, but I think in future seasons, it would definitely have the ability to reach those levels. Um, we mm. follow 
in, in a quiet kind of rural town, uh, the local junior high school football team ace uh, called Ash, uh, Ashito Ayoi. Uh, okay. is, is known for his un- unpredictable kind of playing style. Uh, he's extremely self-centered, but he's the sole powerhouse for his team and he carries his team all the way through uh, the high school uh, preliminary to- tournament, right? Um, and, and their win streak is uh, devastated when an opponent causes him to lose his temper and he gets sent off for the rest of the game. Uh, their star Without the star player, the team is eliminated and uh, Ashito is eventually approached by a youth team coach um, who senses potential in him and invites him for tryouts in Tokyo. And that is the beginning of what is... Pro- I mean, like, all sports anime follow follow the kind of same same kind of storyline, more or less, right? There is very little kind of deviation for that. Uh, and more or less for the rest of the anime, uh, from there on end, it's not no getting to know your teammate, realizing you're not like the biggest uh, fish in the pond, right? Uh, yeah. Trying to uh, see who your rivals are and the friendly competition that's there. Like it hits all those beats in a soccer setting. The one thing that I will praise that uh, Al Ashi is doing is that it recognizes for once that uh, soccer is a very different game, right? Uh, from um, uh, in in terms of the way that it works, it's not because like you are a fantastic, brilliant player, and therefore like it's going to make sure that you win and all of that. There's a lot mm-hmm. more people here involved here, even against like a huge ensemble cast uh, anime like uh, Haikyuu, right? There's eleven boys here, right? Mm-hmm. All of them with like pretty solid kind of like character uh, backgrounds that all interplay with each other and the nuances of those uh, those relationships are outstanding uh, in my opinion mm. uh, I do feel like this ranks very highly on my list of like possibly greater sports anime uh, it's, mm. it's 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 got a lot of promise and I've enjoyed most of the season that I've seen already uh, so far uh, I think it has a bit of a way to go to reach Haikyuu, but I do think that this would be the soccer modern equivalent of what Slam Dunk was back in the day. And that's mm, that's pretty well, high praise. Um, e- even Haikyuu wasn't Haikyuu in season one, you know? Yeah. Like, it takes multiple seasons for it to get to greatness. So yeah, yeah this has the potential yes. for it. So uh, finally, we've got a football anime that's worth watching. So please go check out uh, yeah. our Aishi uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, next up, again, going to be talking about uh, in a kind of totally different vein, I'm going to be talking about Birdie Wing Golf Girl Story. This is a silly little anime about girls who play golf uh, with superpowers mm-hmm. involved. Uh, so more in the line of Kuroko's basketball than uh, than Slam Dunk or in uh, you know uh, Haikyuu itself. Um, we mm-hmm. follow Eve who uh, gambles on golf games to kind of like make make ends meet. Um, you know, and uh, she thinks she's kind of the only one who has tricks up her sleeve as far as playing golf goes. Uh, but she gets eventually eventually invited to an underground golf tournament uh, where she can only use three clubs and an entirely unknown universe to her where there are a whole bunch of girls who are all super-powered and playing golf. It's silly, mm. it's cute, it has some very touching kind of tender moments and is absurd to the nth degree how one would possibly add superpowers to a uh, uh, a show about golf but yeah it works and uh it's funny and i i've been enjoying it it's nothing like mind-blowing or inspired for that matter but yes birdie wing golf skill story if you enjoy kuroko's basketball if you're into golf then this is for you uh, uh one of my favorite um, sports movies of all time is happy gilmore which is yes 
about somewhat, you know, Adam Sandler kind of has a superpower being a hockey player. You know, he can only drive, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy like quirky golf thing. Yes. Um, yeah. This is right up my alley also. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the characters are really, really fun and kind of like very yeah. unique as far as like this kind of like sports adjacent anime goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, so I really kind of did enjoy them in a more superhero anime way than necessarily a golf anime way. It's just the okay. combination of two that is is bizarre and enjoyable. So yes, Birdie Wing Golf Ghost Story. Uh, I'm just okay. going to quickly go through the rest of the stuff because I do feel like some of them are... Well, they're kind of tropey, but I enjoyed them. I'm Quitting Heroing. Mm-hmm. Uh, takes your kind of like isekai hero tropes. Uh, basically, the hero saves the world. Humanity fucks him over. He's like, you know what? I'm done. And then he tries to get recruited into uh, the Devil Lord's army. Basically. Okay. Right? Uh, so what takes place for a huge chunk of it is basically a workplace comedy where he, in disguise, tries to solve a lot of the logistical and HR problems within uh, the, the Devil Lord's army uh, the, in the organization itself. Um, and by and large, like you don't see how powerful he is in terms of his power set as much as his great mind for logistics and people management. Uh, it is mm. uh, tongue-in-cheek. And uh, it, it tramples all over the tropes that we get from Yosho and then kind of like Isekai hero stories. Uh, and that mm-hmm. in and of itself, I thought was worth a watch and worth kind of like highlighting. Nice. Uh, the other okay. two, uh, Aharan is indecipherable. Uh, and Shik- uh, Shikimori is not just a cutie. Basically, are all uh, rom-com animes. Uh, Aharan is indecipherable. Feels a lot like uh, Komi Can't Communicate, where we follow a uh, small girl who basically can't speak above a certain volume uh, who befriends mm. a outcast kind of like social socially awkward boy who sits next to her uh, and they're very very strange kind of like almost symbiotic relationship where they need each other to kind of like communicate through things uh, mm-hmm. it's it's cute it's cute uh, and it's a very meme worthy the scenes because uh, it's like exa- very exaggerated kind of reactions to things that are going on because there's very little dialogue uh, as far as it goes from the main protagonist itself uh, Shikimori is not just a cutie it's basically about a very unfortunate um, This basically the boy is a bad luck charm right like anything bad that can oh. happen will happen right and about yep. his girlfriend who's basically a badass who like constantly yep. like saves him from being hit by a truck saves him from a baseball like knocking him out saves him from a whole bunch of other stuff Right, and you just constantly as guardian. It's one of those really cheesy but very heartfelt kind of like love stories whereby he can't help himself putting himself in danger and she can't help mm. but like be there to save him. It gets tired mm-hmm. after a while. But for the first five, six episodes, it's very, very cute. Uh oh, nice. in, in, in okay. the most like uh absolutely you know, syrupy sweet way. But I enjoyed yep. it. So sure, why not? I'm going to recommend it. So finally, oh, awesome. yeah. uh, we're going to come down to my top two picks here, uh, of which okay. I believe uh, Hidze has caught both of them. Uh, first yeah, of all, right. let's start off with Spy Family, which in a surprise to some of you, maybe it's not my top pick of the thing, but it's definitely worth recommending. Uh, Hidze, you definitely. have caught Spy Family, yes? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I have. Very early on. It is on Netflix, uh, and um, I believe we just hit episode 12, so there's going to be a break before a new bunch of episodes comes out. Uh, as far yep. as what is available um, 
in the story wise we are we've barely scratched the surface right uh, mm. there are several more arcs that have already been covered in the manga which I've been following since it came out uh, super excited to have been able to catch uh, the, the adaptation of this and I think they've done a, a great job uh, what do you think so far Hits? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think very few anime, or at least freshman anime in recent years, have come in with as much hype as uh, Spy Family. And I think yeah. the debut season has definitely uh, met those lofty expectations. Um, perhaps even uh, exceeded them for some yes. who have not read the manga. Yeah. Um, Spy Family perfectly translates, I think, the wit and the warmth of Tetsuya Endo's manga to deliver the most charming and enjoyable, at least one of them, um, one of the most charming and enjoyable anime of 2022 so far. Yes. If you've ever wanted uh, a wholesome sitcom version of the Americans, um, Spy <laughs> Family is it, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the car chases, they are gangland murders, they are impossible missions, but they are all the flourish. But the, the heart of the show lies in um, the domestic drama itself, Lloyd, Anya, and Yor, and their domestic fulfillment. Yeah. The situational comedy is absolutely funny and expertly done. Yes. Um, and there are multiple laugh out loud moments per episode, and whatever problems arise, whether it's you know Yor's brother turning out to be a <laughs> secret secret police yeah. or Anya's uh, Mark, you know, in in school bullying her to hide a growing crush, they they get through it all not with superpowers and super skills, but rather with you know um unwavering emotional support with, for for one another which i find very uh, heartwarming yes. uh, what about you yeah absolutely yeah. um I, I agree with like a, a ton of that uh for those mm. uh of you that are unfamiliar with what spy family is about let me just give a short yeah. ca- short kind of synopsis um spy family is set in i guess what would be a post war uh fictional equivalent of what germany was like right so we have uh, Ostentania on the on the one side and then we have like the equivalent of West Germany on the other side. I can't remember the exact name. Uh, within, we- Westerlist. Uh, Westerlist, that's right. So in the bustling yeah. uh, um, city of Berlin, uh, uh, the Ostentian city or the equivalent of what uh, East Germany would be, we follow the uh, the adventures, I guess, of uh, a, a, a spy master called Twilight, right? Uh, who eventually dons the alias of Lloyd Forger uh, who is an esteemed psychiatrist. However, his latest mark requires him to start a family. Uh, and he mm-hmm. goes about this by, um, well, going to an orphanage and finding a kid and maybe one of the cutest kid anime characters in recent memory, uh, Anya, mm-hmm. who happens to be a telepath who has run away from the facility that was uh, conducting experiments on her uh, and also mm-hmm. stumbles into a, a, a fake marriage with, uh, secretly unbeknownst to him, uh, one of Ostentania's uh, top assassins uh, called mm-hmm. Yor, uh, also known as the Thorn Princess. Uh, they yeah. basically play family kind of all the time and that's where a lot of uh, the shenanigans that Hidze has already described bands from um mm. it is uh, of course outside of the really really good action sequence for a gag anime and the ch- car chase sequences and all the spy craft that's going on it is the the quieter kind of like family moments where they're negotiating their relationships in what is a, a arrangement of convenience for all three of them in yeah. uh what feels to be very genuinely familial uh, and those are the portions in time that I look forward to most while watching Spy Family. Mm, itself. Yeah. yeah. How would you rate Spy Family if you had to give it a rating? 
probably an eight out of ten. Um, I really enjoy, you know, the, despite the kind of foundation of lies that this found family is built on. I think the real joy of the series is watching each member of this found family who each have something to hide mm -hmm. come to genuinely care for one another. Yeah. Um, not just out of self-interest, but of selflessness too. Um, I think, yeah, they, they do come together out of practical reasons, but they stay together for the unexpected bonds. And that's kind of the crux of the conflict and the comedy mm -hmm. is in the our protagonist's uh, willingness to prioritize the emotional needs of their domestic partners alongside their hidden agendas. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, Lloyd and yours, um, heartwarming attachment to to um, Anya um, as they juggle kind of the more mundane stresses of newfound parenthood, which is honestly the more interesting aspect of Spy Family. Yeah. Um, alongside with the thrilling nature of uh, the double lives and the danger of that, you know. Um, Anya is very fond of her adopted parents too. I like the, the neat little wrinkle that she's the only one that knows what both of them are up to. <laughs> yeah. They don't know what, what she's up to. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of great elements coming uh, along and setting up for... Um, an interesting future for the show, which I think has long legs. Uh, yes. Right now, they're really leaning into the situational comedy aspect of the found family. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, um, much like the American season 5 and 6 and stuff like that, it's uh, when they find out what each other is up to, that's when the drama will come. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to wait for that because I'm enjoying the, the little uh, social interactions right now, uh, whether it be at Eden Academy, mm -hmm. whether it be at home. Um, that's it, just fun to watch for now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's been, it's been quite a ride. Like so far, it it feels the anime does make it feel a lot more dynamic than the manga. And as much as I love the manga, like the anime, if you're a fan of manga, please watch the anime. If you haven't read the manga, I think watching the anime first might actually hook you, and then you can go and read it later on, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah. this is uh our as good as it is our second top pick for this season of anime. Uh, moving this on. This is a rare. Yes. Hold on. This is a rare. This is a rare team up between Studio Wit and Cloverworks. I yes. Read. Um, yes. Quite two quite big powerhouses, lah. So that's why the animation is so dynamic. You know. Yeah. Um, interesting. I've I've never seen like two big studios work together like this for one show. Yeah. Um. Usually, I mean, like we in recent times we've gotten a lot of like Mappa and like uh Wit, uh kind of uh, but like Wit and Cloverworks themselves. Every time mm. they've come together, it's been it's been banger. Uh, which is a lot nice, to say. Yeah. And I also think that, this is a kind of a side note, I've realized that uh, Wit has come up with a couple of things that have been on Netflix. Uh, most recently, we reviewed Vampire in the Garden, which was by Wit Studios, which was mm. not not great. Not good. Uh, Bubble, yeah. the movie that's also on Netflix, was also not great. Um, you mm. know, and I was wondering, like, really, if they've been putting a lot of their resources into doing some of the more, like, bigger collaborative ones, including Spy Family. Because mm. Wit, okay. Wit has grown immensely in the last couple of years and they've put out a lot of great stuff. So to see, like, not so amazing stuff, like, coming out is, is kind of a surprise, but Spy Family is not one of those disappointments, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Uh, what's your number one pick? My number one pick is... Paripi Kome, otherwise known as Yaboy Kome. You might have heard us talk about this, throwing this around uh, in a couple of episodes of Behold when we're doing our monthly kind of recommendations. Uh, yep. I'll be very honest, like, it caught me completely off guard. I saw the kind of, like, uh, poster for it. I was just like, oh, what, what in the world is this, right? Like, the, immediately the style didn't quite grab me. Uh, but the synopsis mm -hmm. did. So, uh, we follow uh, Tsuke Liang, otherwise known as Kong Ming, 
of course, one of the greatest tacticians uh, in all of history that existed during the Three Kingdoms. Uh, he, having led, you know, his army and 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 Liu Bei, his boss, to like countless kind of like victories uh, throughout his tenure as the head tactician, uh, Kong Ming mm. falls ill and. Um, uh, in the moment of uh, you know his his passing, I guess, or at least is hinted as the passing, he wishes that he would be reborn into a world uh, where where peace would be abound and he wouldn't need to put his talents uh, to acts of war and violence. Uh, his wish is mm. apparently granted, and he gets transported to modern day Shibuya, uh, where he uh, wanders around in his kind of like classic garb, as most people would imagine uh, Tsukaliang to be wearing. Uh, yep. where he is ultimately, I guess, taken in by an aspiring uh, J-pop idol called Aiko. Uh, um, mm. Kong Ming is eventually uh, discovers uh, Aiko's talent for singing and her dreams in becoming, of, of having her, her music kind of reach the world and dedicates mm. himself and his talents uh, to that cause. Uh, that in and of itself was like a fascinating and like out of the box enough premise for me to start watching. What I got at the end of the season, uh, which just ended, uh, is a phenomenal anime. Uh, it's not mm. odd taxi by any means, uh, but in and of itself, Ya Boy Kong Ming is a story uh, that has tons of stuff, right? Like it has mm -hmm. uh, the musical appeal of like. Carol and Tuesday. It has the pacing mm. of like a sports anime. It has these like phenomenal kind of like character arcs that are well written and well voiced uh, with so much kind of like emotional investment on the audience's part. Uh, the music yep. is dope. The gags are great. Uh, the way that they weave in all these like you know uh, out of war or even uh, uh, kind of like stratagems and and even Kong Ming's own stratagems from his time as a tactician mm. into this modern day setting of the music industry in 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 Japan or in Tokyo specifically uh, is mm. like so 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 genius um the way that yeah. it, it goes upon like uh for me uh your boy Kong Ming stands out because it it has such a strange and simple and absurd premise but it delivers so much more on that front uh within the season mm. itself uh, to be able to cram all of that without ever feeling like they are overreaching is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal effort. Uh, and I really, really mm. kind of like enjoy that. Uh, there are some strange kind of twists and turns here and there that you don't kind of see coming. The way that it's yep. set up uh, and the way that Comey kind of strategizes is always kind of a surprise. Uh, as far as mm. it goes. Uh, so I'm not going to go too deep into that for people who are going to start enjoying this as well. But uh, what did you think of Yeah Boy Combing? Yeah, I mean, it, it combines... Um, it, I, I know everyone calls it a reverse Esekai, uh, which it is, you know. Yeah. Um, he he um, he gets brought forward um, to modern day, similar to, you know, Tami Rominove. Um, and similar to Tami Rominove, it's one of the more eccentric reverse Esekais yes. that, that you will ever find <laughs> um, here or anywhere. <laughs> Um, but I'm also a big fan of historical anime. I'm also a big fan of musical anime, and it meshes up those two genres. Yes. Um, from the moment you hear the, the OP, the opening theme, I think you'll be hooked by the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you never skip the anime's banger because I don't. Um, yep. Great job by Queendom there. Um, you have it on repeat, as do I. 
Um, and but aside from the opening and the closing song, which is good, the genre mashup I think keeps me entertained. You know, yeah. um, even if you're not a fan of Three Kingdoms or you don't know much about the mythology and legends of Three Kingdoms, yeah, I think you find yourself laughing out loud and intrigued <laughs> by by the running gags, which yeah. is how Kong Ming manages to adapt ancient um, battlefield stratagems into a modern context, whether he tries to um, find a slot for Echo in an EDM festival or whether he's trying to get um, uh, an audience to come see his show in a nightclub or whether he's trying to finagle likes and follows on social media. Um, it is very funny, very interesting. It has a very smooth pacing. Mm. Um, interesting character dialogue and um, the the character designs and everything are very pleasing as well. I think visually it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, the main character is probably the enemy's greatest strength, more so than Echo, yes. because Kong Ming is uh, a likable character. Yeah. Uh, and you're just so interested to see what he's going to do next, you know, more of his speeches, more of his strategies, as he tries to um, Ari Gold, I guess, uh, Echo's <laughs> career, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, the creator, I think, and the writers do an excellent job of depicting the thought process of Kong Ming, yes. which is... You know, like like I said, based on a real Chinese general back in the day, he is the show's life and soul, and he kind of hooked me immediately. Um, his strategies are interesting and powerful, probably ludicrous to some extent, yeah. but I'll go along with it. Yeah. Um, for a for an enemy season, specifically the spring season, that uh is so wrapped up in Spy Family, it's it's all, all Kaguya Sama yeah. and, and some of the other bigger titles. It's a bit of a shame that your boy Kong Ming. Uh, has sort of fallen under the radar. But despite that, despite being so overshadowed by some of the bigger titles out there, it somehow became a cult favorite. You know, yep. it, it's risen up on my anime list. Um, it's been upvoted a ton on, you know, um, anime reddits up there. Yeah. Um, people are genuinely finding this and loving the show. There is a bit of a, there's a bit of a, a cultness to it, yeah. you know, like 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 Odd Taxi, yeah. like people who've seen it, they feel very like possessive about it. Oh, this <laughs> is the this this is the one show that you're not cool enough to watch. I'm cool because I'm into like you know underground anime, yeah. and and your boy Kongming certainly is that. It's interesting. It's off the wall, but I think sooner rather than later, this is not going to be a cult show. This is just going to be a big show. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 caught, it's caught on. Um, surprisingly, I'm surprised that it's caught on. But yes, it has a very catchy title. Yeah. and a very catchy premise. Yep. So. Of course it will catch on, yeah, right? Yeah. For sure, for sure. I think there's been a lot of... Uh, uh, people have been sharing a lot of the music that has been coming out from Yao Boing Kong Ming uh, on social media and that has definitely kind of like picked up. Like uh, Aiko's singing voice is done by uh, Neko96 uh, who is a mm. phenomenal voice. Uh, the production value yeah. just in the musicals, uh, musical arrangements themselves for the in the in-world uh, kind of like songs are phenomenal. Solid, solid stuff. Uh, and I think they are reaching an entire new kind of demographic who may not necessarily have watched the anime just through the quality of the music that they're putting out. Uh, and like mm. that to me is is great. Right? Like honestly, I feel like more people should kind of like watch it. I feel it's my... Much like you said, like I'm one of those, you know, culty underground things. Like I'm going to I'm gonna shout this out just because like... It, it took me by surprise. It delivered more than its premise uh, kind of afforded at the beginning, you know, and it has a kind mm. of a little bit of everything, right? Uh, it's yep. hard, it's a difficult balancing act to do. Like, Spy Family is great and it is phenomenal at what it does. So is Kaguya-sama. Mm. So is Komi Kam Communicate. But it's been a while since something this fresh and absurd has come out, uh, swinging out of the gate and I think, like, people, people deserve to know about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was also ref refreshed by the fact that the anime doesn't spend too much time 
you know, doing stereotypical men out of time or fish out of water comedy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, if Kong Ming really is as brilliant as he says he is, yes. and he is, <laughs> um, he will acclimatize very quickly and he uses that keen intellect to acclimatize yeah. himself to the 21st century yeah. within the first episode. Yeah. Like the first episode indulges a bit in that fish out of water comedy. Yeah. And then after that, he, he just, you know, hits the ground running. That is, the true joy of the show lies in watching this renowned strategist, you know, adept, military tactics for a new battlefield mm -hmm. to fight rival influencers and rival pop idols and rival managers from major agencies and things like that. Yeah. Um, you see him manipulating a Steve Aoki-type DJ <laughs> to produce uh, Echo's data single. Um, things like that. I can't wait for them to go to overseas EDM festivals oh, and yeah. shit like that. Um, it even you know delves into the world of uh, underground hip-hop and rap battles yeah. and shit like that. It's... It, work, seeing coming work is magic in our 21st century world is quite a delight. Um, yeah. yeah, that's why I think yeah, Comic is my number one as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. If you guys are looking for just like something really, really out of the box or you want to see Tsuka Liang like rap battle uh, like, mm. and, and throw down, uh, you know, over the mic, like there are just some really, really kind of like solid scenes uh, all over the place. Again, like the music, while not usually what I listen to necessarily, is great. You know, uh, yep. and I think like overall the performances and the soundtrack and everything kind of pulled together makes for a very enjoyable, cohesive experience that I was not expecting. Uh, and kind of the mm. underdog of this season. And that is why Yaboy Kong Ming is generally quality's pick for this season of anime. How you rate yeah, Yaboy um, Kong Ming? Uh, probably a 9 out of 10. Yeah, it's for me. I think this might be one of the highest rated anime uh, outside of like, you know, uh, the odd taxi season that we've given in a long time. So please check it out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I'm super hyped for it as well. Uh, to continue on the anime theme mm. and the piggyback of um, Isis Anime Corner, this is Quick Hits Classics Anime Edition. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about two kind of um, classic animes that only have one season, but are, are pretty notable. Our first one is slightly less notable. Mm. It's called Ping Pong. It's by director Masaki Yuasa. It's probably the most unique sports anime I've ever seen, simply because Yuasa's janky, unorthodox, almost graphic novel painting art style yeah. is not the smooth or dynamic animation you expect from the genre. Yep. You know, you've kind of been spoiled by Haikyuu or Hanibado and things like that. But this has kind of a rough and wobbly sketch style and it's very beautiful and eye-catching because it's so different from the clean lines and kinetic physics mm -hmm. you see in other sports anime. Um, and I repeat, this loose, wonky art style is not because of lazy production values. It's a deliberate choice. Yep. And it works for the mood and the tone of the show, which is not your average sports anime at all. Um, I guess you'll still be amped for the matches because the movement looks great and the camera angles put you right in the action. Yep. Uh, but, you know, like, akin to its art, I think the anime, the anime takes a rough and dirty approach to its protagonist, mm -hmm. to its teen protagonist, you know. Neither their manners nor behavior is sanitized in the way you expect from um, high school sports anime. They shit talk in every conversation. <laughs> they are not typically great sportsmen. Nope. There's no grand show of respect or heartwarming montages of overcoming obstacles here. These kid, kids behave like actual teens, and the show is realistic when it comes to the harshness of competitive sports and the personalities of its characters, the, the alpha personalities particularly. Mm -hmm. um, we follow three major characters. One is uh, Sukimoto. He is nicknamed Smile because he never smiles. He's an introverted high schooler with a natural talent for table tennis, though he has zero passion for the sport. He doesn't care about glory or winning, despite being the best player on the show. 
Um, and if you expect his personality to change through the show, you know, like, oh, I'm uninterested, I'm I'm laissez faire, blah blah blah. Don't hold your breath. He does not change, and I found it very <laughs> refreshing. Yes. Um, Ping Pong's re- refusal to give him a traditional arc is what I loved most about the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, um, ha- Hoshino, nicknamed uh, Peiko, is Smile's friend and opposite. He has the passion and energy to the point of annoyance. He is, he is a Conor McGregor type braggart. Um, and, and worst of all, he's actually kind of good enough to back it up. But you know what happens when bullies lose? Um, Peiko has built his identity around being the best, and he's not even the second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth best in the show. Mm-hmm. He spirals, um, and that's a great arc too. Lastly, there is Kong, who is a Chinese transfer student who's been kicked off the Chinese youth team. Yeah. Uh, and he feels embarrassed that he's now forced to play with scrubs from Japan. Um, Kong is so much better than the Japanese boys. It's like watching an NBA player in the Japanese basketball league. Mm-hmm. You know? um, he's just mm-hmm. so out of their league, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and... Pico and Smile are the central pair and their complex friendship forms the backbone of the series. But then characters like Kong start to shine in the story because his story of alienation from China and his sadness and resentment of being left out and being out of missing home is kind of fascinating. Um, of course, Pico and Smile have other rivals too and they're all surprisingly well-developed for an 11-episode show. Um, across the course of this tightly, tightly packed show, many of the main and side characters kind of bob and weave between each other, forming friendships and rivalries, losing hope and gaining pride, tearing each other down and build, building each other back, back up. Um, it'd be easy for a story like this to focus on a simple failure to success story or highlight one of these characters at the expense of others. In Ping Pong, this is never the case. Everyone, even the minor characters, are very fully realized with their fears, regrets, and distinct personalities. And importantly, they're not very likable most of the time. And I find that really interesting for sports anime that because most of the time everyone seems very likable. Yeah. They 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 make an effort to make every to make you want to root for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anyone like really dig in and double down. You know, some people are just not likable yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. Um this show finds time for all its character development because absolutely zero scenes are wasted. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the show is rushed. It simply means that every line tells you something about the character and every confrontation between two players changes something in both of them. This cuts to the heart of what Ping Pong is all about since you may have noticed um, I haven't been talking about competition. <laughs> I haven't been talking about victory. Yeah. Uh, Ping Pong's characters care about winning, but the show itself is actually most interested in exploring failure mm. and why failure is sometimes more important than winning in terms of building a person's character from its unique style to its ability to subvert sports anime tropes uh, to even its great sound design, Ping Pong is a total artistic triumph. Um, Definitely recommend it for you. Uh, Last but not least, I'm going to be talking about Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Um, Full Metal Alchemist has been around since the early 2000s. -hmm. It was one of those anime series famous enough that it was hard to be an anime fan and not have heard about it. Um, I know that in 2009, a few years after the first FMA wrapped up, it was rebooted. Um, that felt unusually soon, but the, se- the first series apparently had deviated heavily from the original manga. Mm-hmm. Um, at, the, at the creator's request, apparently, since the manga was still ongoing at the time. Yeah. And the second series was going to be true to the soon-to-be-ending manga. Um, the buzz around the second series, uh, titled Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, was even stronger than the first one. Um, despite that, I've avoided it since this was around the period 2009, 2010, yeah. 
when I grew out of Shonen. Um, but I decided to watch it recently because I had some spare time. Um, at first, I didn't think too much of the two teenage protagonists. Um, what I knew was that Edward and Alphonse Elric um, had tried to resurrect their dead mother through alchemy. Um, I knew that was never going to go well because, of course, it doesn't. Um, and as a result of the botched attempt, Ed lost most of his right arm and left leg, and L lost his body, so his soul had to be bonded to a suit of armor. So much of the story involves them searching for a way to become whole again. And I wasn't really interested in following two teenagers trying to fix themselves after having done something horribly stupid. Um, you know, the, the typical shonen thing. Fortunately, Fullmetal Alchemist is... Well, I don't know about the first one, but Brotherhood is a lot more than that. <laughs> um, manga creator Hiromu Arakawa has built a world that invokes the look of 1940s Germany with cars and telephones and radios and trains and a quasi-fascist government. But only difference is that this is a world where alchemy is considered a science. Uh, the country Amistris lives and breathes independent of the Eric brothers' existence, mm -hmm. which allows the series to be more than just two teenagers trying to fix a childhood mistake. Yep. Um, I'm sure Ed and L do well enough with the target demo of preteen and teenage boys. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're watchable, they're incredibly talented, they're kick-ass for their age with just enough emotional insecurity to make them relatable. Um, much of the show's humor centers around the antics of the two of them. Um, <laughs> and um, Alphonse's animations are adorable when he's out of sorts. Um, although Ed's sensitivity about his height is a little overdone yeah. after the first few episodes. Uh, but for me, it's the parallel story going on, the parallel conspiracy story that got me going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Things that don't involve Ed and L. There is a whole other show here that is not Ed and L. Yeah. Um, the brothers, yeah, sure, they are searching for a way to restore themselves and a possible key to finding that is creating a philosopher's stone, right? Which, magnifies, uh, which magnifies us Magnify, magnifies, um, enhances, yes. an, uh, an alchemist's ability. Uh, so, okay, normally alchemy requires an equivalent exchange. Yes. Alchemists cannot create something out of nothing. Since a philosopher's stone reduces or outright negates the need for exchange, is a highly desirable object mm -hmm. for alchemists beyond the Elric brothers. So this sets up the parallel storyline. While the Elric brothers are dealing with their own shit, on the center stage, mm -hmm. there's another story involving a conspiracy within the military, yes. the Philosopher's Stones, a civil war from six years ago. <laughs> the two overlap from time to time and eventually merge later in the series. But for the first half of the series, the Elric brothers are largely in the dark, only tangentially involved in what's going on. Yep. And this segment of the story, spearheaded by the ambitious Colonel Roy Mustang and his cohorts, who understand there is something rotten in his country's military and he intends to root it out. Roy's storyline is fascinating oh, to watch yeah. because he's very aware that he's playing a dangerous game against unknown enemies who outrank him mm -hmm. and his enemy is equally aware that Roy is getting too nosy for his own good. Mm -hmm. um, Roy is quite, of a quite of a genius, a tactician. He moves intelligently. He shoots for the long game so long that his real agenda doesn't even become clear until halfway through the series. Mm -hmm. um, a rarity for a protagonist and since he's not the titular character, the moments where he finds himself in trouble are a lot more nerve-wracking, I found, <laughs> since there's less of a guarantee that he'll make it out intact. Yeah. Um, the two plots connect, um, though the Elric brothers' pursuit of a philosopher's stone, um, and because, you know, as a state alchemist, Ed reports to Roy Mustang. Yeah. Um, but Roy seldom gives him any direct orders or involves him in any of his plans, probably because he knows the Elric brothers are kind of these uncontrollable wild cannons. <laughs> um, and Roy himself is also a powerful alchemist specializing in fire. He's almost 
overpowered. I have a suspicion that the manga writer slash artist made Roy too powerful of a secondary protagonist because mm-hmm. he frequently gets hamstrung in ways that keep him out of action. You know, um, the Elric brothers often start fights at full strength and Roy is usually wet. Yeah. Um, he, he can't start a fire when them uh, or crippled or or when both uh, are faced with a potential battle, it starts to rain or something. You yeah. Know? Um, but when he finally does get some action in, it ends up being some of the most badass scenes mm-hmm. in the first half of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't a show I would have watched on my own, but it's better than I expected and I can see why it's so popular. Yeah. The use of alchemy throughout the show is not only well-designed and integral to the story, but it allows for some creative problem-solving that just wouldn't be possible for protagonists in most other series. Yeah. And given the 1930s, 1940s setting, this can mean knowing the chemical composition of what they're transmuting. You know, I feel it's very smart because it involves real-life chemistry as well. Yep. Um, though Ed and L aren't my typical cup of, cup of tea, I don't actually dislike them. Um, and they eventually grew on me on the, by the end of the series. Mm-hmm. But I would have found the series more difficult to get into if Roy and the other military or spy figures had not been working in the background. I really needed that more mature storyline yep. and the elements of danger and uncertainty that came with it. Um, it's a bit of a shame that when their enemies become uh, one, you know, like when their the stories intertwine, mm-hmm. um, Roy's, role, uh, Roy's role becomes diminished yeah. uh, in the third quarter of the show, mm-hmm. uh, more hamstringing, um, and then but he he bounces back lah, but by the end in a spectacular way. <laughs> My only major complaints about the series is something that might betray me as like a, a crotchety old man, I guess. But uh, I had a hard time with the show's um, slapstick humor. I yeah. found it a bit. Um, for like for better term, terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metal Alchemist has always liked to balance its pathos with punchlines, but there were quite a few times where I thought there were too many cutesy gags to the point where they undercut the drama of any given scene. Yeah. Um, you know, like like hearing Edward freak out about being called short yeah. once or twice was funny, mm-hmm. but by the five hundredth time, the gag was sort of like a run into the ground and. I couldn't roll my eyes any harder. Yeah. Uh, in the end, though, um, the story comes together in an absolutely rollicking final arc. I can't deny that the final episodes demanded to be watched one after the other. And what comes together in a series is greater than the sum of its parts and overshadows any faults I might have found in it. And it's probably one of the best shonen anime I've seen in a long time. I think it's right up there with Hunter x Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, Attack on Titan, I don't classify a shonen nope. anymore, so it doesn't fall into this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you want to talk about enemies of all time, this, this is right up there, you know. Um, you saw Fullmetal's Al- Alchemist back in the day, right? Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts or memories of it? Oh, man. I actually rewatched Brotherhood sometime when kind of quarantine started. Like, it had just appeared on Netflix and I was just like, okay, it's been a while. I'm just going to kind of mm. binge through that. I think, like, right. uh, I agree with a lot of things <clears throat> uh, that that you've just shared, um, mainly because, like, revisiting it as an older, uh, as an older fan, um, I, I definitely like the gags and all of that. I think what really stood out for me watching it uh, just about two years ago is that yeah. um, there's so many kind of iconic scenes, right? Things that have kind of like seeped into the cultural consciousness of anime fans uh, that mm. stem from Brotherhood uh, or mm. it, itself. Uh, and one of the things that doesn't get discussed enough is that like, Mustang is amazing and I will always give him credit for pulling the story through what could yep. have been like extremely boring shonen stuff. Like it is Mustang and the villains <clears throat> mm. that push Brotherhood into Seinen territory, right? And mm. it's that very kind of fine balance that they don't always get right between the shonen and the Seinen parts of this series that 
had a, a, a palpable tension, right? There are moments in yep. time when you they have to remind you that, look, while all this is going on, there are two kids trying to find their way through all of that, right? As best as they can, right? But like, it, it, that, and, and it always cuts back and forth between that and the fact that the conspiracies and all the motivations of all the major players involved in this world uh, is, is threatening to overwhelm the fact that, you know, uh, mm. these kids have one goal and one goal alone and will do whatever it takes to kind of get there, right? Yep. Everything else on the side is the meat of it, you know? Uh, yep. And, and uh, Edward and Eric are, are essentially, you know, kind of like the, the garnish on top uh, for that. Mm. And that's how I felt. But like such compelling character stories outside of the two main characters. Uh, mm. Such compelling stories for the villains, I feel, as well. Uh, and yep. that's something that isn't really talked about, uh, you know, uh, with with all of the. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, there's no spoiling. It's been like nearly a decade, you know. Uh, yep. But like uh, each of the individual villains and the way that they play out in their interactions with either Roy or or, or with the brothers, eventually, like all of that, are, is compelling despite the fact that they don't have enough time to explore those things, uh, and it's hard mm. to do. It's hard to do, and I think like. Uh, much like Hunter Hunter, it is that kind of combination of like uh, growing up from being shonen as a series, mm. as a franchise that has made these uh, two two really kind of like big uh, titles uh, what they are. Definitely, yeah. Um, agree with you on that. You can catch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood on Netflix. It's still streaming there. Um, do check it out. I don't recommend shonen often, so when I do, you know that it's not your typical <laughs> shonen. Yeah. Um, and not not that FMEB like needs it. my help. Like it's a it's quite a, a legendary title, but right by itself, anyways. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that wraps it up for this episode of Genre Equality. We'll be back next month to talk about two big Marvel titles, Ms. Marvel and Thor: Love and Thunder. Will be out in cinemas and Disney Plus respectively. Mm-hmm. We'll also be talking about. The latest season of the Orville, um, our quote-unquote best Star Trek show in the world right now. <laughs> Plus, we'll be talking about um, an incredible third season of The Boys as well, alongside many other things. But those will be our our four main topics. Uh. Mm-hmm. Um, so next time, this has been Hit Zero. Bye, sir. Uh, goodbye, guys. Ciao.